Well, good morning. Merry Christmas. It's really great to be with all of you this morning. I was thinking the people that I love the most are right here today in this room. And uh, God loves you too. If we haven't met yet, my name is Ken. And uh, I want to welcome you here to Crossman's Church. Whether you're joining us online today or um, are here in person, I want you to know that I affectionately call Crosswinds the land of misfit toys. In some ways, everybody feels like a misfit in this world. And our misfits, don't worry about it, we have a mission. We have a mission in this world. It's helping every family discover God, his love, and his ways. And, and that's just our mission statement, but it comes from the great commission of uh, go make disciples of all nations, baptized in the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit, teaching them to obey everything I have commanded you, and I am with you always to the very end of the age. And also the great commandment of God, love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, with all your mind, and with all your strength, and love your neighbor as yourself. There's no commandment greater than that. And at Christmas, we, we celebrate God sending his son as king of all of us misfits, leading us back to our God, where he restores us to be his sons and his daughters. And today, our message is misfits magnify Messiah. You know, our lives are meant to magnify God which means to glorify him, to praise him, to give him worship, to give him the honor that he is due. Psalm 37, 3 says, Oh, magnify the Lord with me. Let us exalt his name together. Friends, that's why we're here today, to praise God for sending his son. And when we delight in doing this, is when we find the most joy in our lives. Misfits, I, I hope you will give yourself the gift this year of magnifying Jesus in your worship of him. You know, Psalm 37, 4 is one of my favorite verses. It says, delight yourself in the Lord and he will give you the desires of your heart. Jesus, friends, will bring you more joy this Christmas than a 70-inch TV or an Xbox or any other fancy toy that you can imagine. If you'll just magnify him with your heart, he will give you joy. From the moment he arrived, he brought joy to those who magnified him, starting in his mother's womb. Remember, in his mother's womb, when she, she ran into Elizabeth and their bellies bumped, Mary starts praising God and emoting, saying, My soul magnifies the Lord, and my spirit rejoices in God my Savior. Today, let's magnify him in his word. Let's worship him in his word. Open your Bibles to Matthew chapter 2. And let's listen to him speak to us in his word. It starts out this way. After Jesus was born in Bethlehem in Judea, during the time of the king Herod, Magi from the east came to Jerusalem. You know, Matthew's kind of a misfit. His story is not all flowery like the story in Luke. He doesn't give us a very detailed account of Jesus' birth. Matthew simply states the location, Bethlehem in Judea. And that's to focus us in on that Jesus is God's king or Messiah. 
because that aligns with an ancient prophecy foretelling that the Messiah, like the famous King David, would be born in the town of Bethlehem. Now, Matthew here, I think, is contrasting Jesus' birth with the reign of King Herod, often referred to as Herod the Great. He had a name to try to magnify himself with Herod the Great. Everybody called him Herod the Great. Herod was appointed by the Romans. They were occupiers, and so they appointed him as king. So he had ruled by appointment, not by birthright like Jesus does. Herod's reign was temporary. Archaeologists in 2007 discovered his tombs and his bones. In contrast, Jesus is an everlasting king. His tomb was never found because it was only borrowed for a few days. That's all he needed it for. Matthew's gospel places Jesus firmly in our history. Herod the Great was both loved and hated by the Jewish people. They admired him for rebuilding the temple in Jerusalem. He reigned for 40 years, and he did all kinds of um, building projects and, and, and made impressive structures and aqueducts that are still visible today. Jesus, though, as a carpenter, built no lasting physical structures. He just taught 12 men and established a kingdom that has profoundly changed the world and our lives. Even those who don't believe in Jesus have benefited from his transformative reign for three years on earth. Herod was also despised by many Jews. He was not a true Jew. He was an Edomite. And his rule was resented. He was a shrewd politician. He, he maintained power by pandering to the Roman occupiers. He was a tyrant to his own people. He was cruel and he was paranoid. The Emperor Augustus once bitterly remarked that it was safer to be Herod's pig than his own son. See, because Herod executed his wife Miriam and his three sons under the mere suspicion of treason. His grand projects, all the things he built, were built on the backs of the poor who he heavily taxed and oppressed. Much is known about Herod in history. But you know what? We don't know very much about these wise men from the East. What we do know is they were Gentiles. And they were very distant from Christ. And today I was thinking earlier as I was praying, do you know anybody right now that's distant for Christ? I'd like you to just say a quick prayer for them. Is God can reach them. God reached these men in a, a distant land. They're not Jews. They're possibly from Babylon. The word wise comes from the Greek word magio or the English word magi. And contrary to traditional songs, they were not kings. Also, the number of the magi are also uncertain. You know, tradition suggests there are three, but that's just probably because there were three gifts given. It, it could have been a whole company of magi that came. The magi were likely Persian astrologers or scholars or practitioners of mystical arts. Hundreds of years earlier, King Nebuchadnezzar exiled the Jews to Babylon. And a group of people called the Chaldeans that were like a human computer. They were experts in interpreting dreams and signs. And among them was Daniel, who was the best and the brightest of the Jews. And he was a prophet. 
And he served with Nebuchadnezzar's wise men interpreting his dreams. And he was known to be an accurate prophet in the ancient world about future events. So it seems unusual that these wise men from a foreign land and foreign religion would come to worship a newborn Jewish king because they were just misfits in a foreign land. God had come to his own people, the Jews. But he was being overlooked for them, being poor and from an insignificant town. God himself had come to his own people to choose. But they thought little of him. But these foreign men risked their lives, their time, and gave away a fortune to come worship him. In the East, there was this general expectation of a leader emerging from Judea. The Roman historian Sudicus wrote, there had spread over all the Orient an old and established belief that it was fated at the time for men from Judea to come and rule the world. Friends, this belief might have originated from Daniel's prophecies hundreds of years earlier during the exile. Another Roman historian, Tactus, also commented on this eastern view. Now, the, the journey that these men would have had to undertake to worship the Messiah was significant. The direct distance was about 537 miles, but it would have been much longer on ancient roads. Although the text does not specify the mode of transportation, we always see camels. So let's assume they were traveling on camel. A camel can cover about 12 to 15 miles per hour. That's at top speed, but with gifts and riders and uh, having to go days at a time, they probably traveled about three to four miles an hour. So they can only travel about 25 miles a day. It would have taken them about 21 days to arrive, and throughout all that time, they're risking attack from bandits along the way. And this raises a question. How far would you go to worship Jesus? Many today hate to even leave their homes due to fear of germs or losing out on some of their me time. The average American Christian attends worship only about 25% of the time. And yet these wise men that had a very little knowledge of who God was just words from an ancient prophet from 600 years prior, traveled almost 600 miles to worship him. Friends, we have 2,000 years of theological writings, four gospel accounts that are extremely accurate, and yet many barely ever engage with them. These men considered wise risked their lives to worship Jesus as king. They, they came to Jerusalem guided only by a star and their faith. See, these pagan men possessed something the religious community did not have. Faith in the one who made the stars. They believed in a God who cared for them. 
that was watching over them, that was trying to com- communicate with them, that was keeping his promises, and he was about to enter their world. You know, Psalm 8 marvelously declares that this baby they come to worship is the creator of the stars that they followed. When I looked at the heavens and the work of your fingers, the moon, the sun, the stars, which you have set in place, what is man that you are mindful of him and the son of man that you care for him? Friends, I want you to know today that our God who rules the heaven cares for us misfits. He sent his son and a sign, a star, so that people at a distance could come and worship him. It's interesting that none in the church or the the temple system, the religious community in Jerusalem, are worshiping him. But, But God calls those unfamiliar with this word to come and worship. God can use creation, dreams, prophets, and his word and his spirit to draw people to him. You know, I've been hearing testimonies of Muslims and regions where the gospel of Jesus is not yet known, and yet Jesus is revealing himself to them in dreams, and they are worshiping him. This is happening right now, even in Palestine, where the Prince of Peace is reaching out in person to people in conflict. Now, these mystical misfits arrive with a critical question for the religious leaders. Where is the one who has been born king of the Jews? We saw his star when it rose, and we have come to worship him. They know nothing but a star in the sky and and some ancient rumors. Yet they come at great expense to worship him. Friends, it's not about the quality of our knowledge. It's about faith in what we do know. If you are wise, friends, today, you you will fear God. You will take action and seek to know him more. Proverbs 9, 10 says, The fear of the Lord is the beginning of wisdom, and the knowledge of the Holy One is insight. Faith doesn't start with knowledge. It starts with the fear of the Lord. Friends, we can often overcomplicate faith. The Jews believed Pleasing God required a temple and countless animal sacrifices. However, Scripture tells us in Hebrews 11.6 that faith is fundamentally about trusting in God's goodness. And without faith, it's impossible to please Him. For whoever would draw near to God must believe that He exists and that He rewards those who seek Him. Friends, what that's saying is you will be rewarded today if you seek Him with your whole heart. Jesus God's Messiah will later affirm this when he says, Blessed are those who hunger and thirst for righteousness, for they shall be satisfied. Matthew 5, 6. Misfits, if you're dissatisfied with your life right now, it's probably because you're not fulfilling your purpose to magnify or worship our righteous king. Because that's where he promises true satisfaction lies. And if you can't find satisfaction, it's possibly because you're not earnestly adoring the king. Your eyes are on yourself instead of him. In their quest for answers, these wise men cause quite a stir. 
so much that the king, King Herod, hears about it. And when the king heard about this, he was disturbed, and all of Jerusalem with him. Notice the stark reaction between King Herod and these wise men who gave up everything to come and worship Jesus. Herod was disturbed when he found out about Jesus. Why? Because he wanted people to worship what he worshipped, himself. He feared anyone more powerful than himself who might have authority over him, and he preferred to make up his own rules. Unlike the wise men, Herod did not fear the Lord. He feared his own opinion of himself. Friends, why do you hesitate to worship Jesus? Could it be because you fear the opinion of others? Or because you hold too high an opinion of yourself? Like Herod? Unlike the wise men, you may, might be unwilling to risk appearing foolish and doing whatever it takes to honor the king by raising your hand, by singing loudly, by bowing before him on the ground. Maybe you're thinking, I, I won't come forward during prayer, during the invitation, because I might look foolish. You might be thinking, oh, I, I'm perfect. I'm not a misfit. I don't, I don't need to show anybody that I have a few flaws that I need to repent. I don't want to admit that to anybody. Is that all because you care more about people's opinions than giving everything that you have to magnify God, to bow down before him? Isn't that the self that's being magnified? Misfit? Herod wanted to be loved by the Jews he ruled. That's why he rebuilt the temple. It wasn't for God. He did it so others would praise him. He didn't want to share his praise with another. That's why he's wanting to hear about this king. He's disturbed hearing about this king. Friend, are you too busy seeking your own praise to praise the two king, true king? I want you to notice something important. It wasn't just Herod who was disturbed here. The text says all the religious people of Jerusalem were disturbed as well. Maybe because when Herod's unhappy, nobody's happy. Or could this be people were more concerned with politics than with God? Herod was the so-called king of the Jews. His intent was on making Israel great again. Yet, Herod was not perfect. He had obvious moral flaws, but the king supported their agenda, and so they excused his moral flaws. It's astonishing today how many Christians say, Exalt flawed political leaders instead of God, who is truly great. And in doing so, they compromise the faith. They're, they're more concerned with economics and nationalism than true worship. I'm not saying that politics is unimportant, but the scriptures remind us the king's heart is a stream of water in the hand of the Lord. And he turns it wherever he wills, Proverbs 21.1. So I want you just to ask yourself, do you, do, you, do you know your current candidate's platform better than you know the word of God? 
If so, there, there's a misalignment. Because I want you to know some. God used two evil kings in this story, Nebuchadnezzar and Herod, to bring these men here to worship. Their greatness pales in comparison to his, a God who can orchestrate through all time and history to reveal his son, even re, 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 reforming the stars, to reveal his son to the universe. And while Herod's grand construction might have been impressive to some, Jesus said it will be torn down in 70 years, and history tells us it was. Friends, what, what great and lasting thing are you doing that's keeping you from having a relationship with worshiping our king? Herod appears to be aiding the wise men. He convenes a gathering, a Bible study of biblical experts. And when he had called together all the people's chief priests and teachers of the law, he asked them where the Messiah was to be born. And they came back and they said, Jerusalem. I'm sorry, not Jerusalem. In, in Jerusalem, the epicenter of, uh, of, of God's people and, and, and the worship and where the temple was, they quickly come up with an answer. It's going to be Bethlehem in Judea, they replied, for that is what the prophet has written. But you, O Bethlehem, the land of Judah, are by no means least among the rulers of Judah, for out of you will come a ruler who will shepherd my people Israel. In, in just a couple of quick moments, a little Bible study, they identify his exact birthplace, his role, and how he would would rule. Their response is a blend of Micah 5.2, pinpointing Jesus' birthplace, Isaiah 40.11, Psalm 23, and, and Micah 5.4, depicting God himself coming as shepherd. And, and shepherd here biblically signifies caring for, feeding, and protecting his people. The Magi, being pagans, had pursued a star without knowing anything about this holy God. But the religious who possessed God's word and his revelation, they had all the answers. They're not even seeking him. Jesus first comes to his own in Bethlehem. But then he proves here that he's Savior for all the world by drawing these misfit magnify, magi to magnify him in worship. Friends, many who say they are Christians do not seek the Lord's presence. They're kind of like the older brother in Luke 15 in the parable of the prodigal son. They're, they're, they're like ungrateful children, children in, in, indifferent to the father that same father who loves them and is willing to give them everything, but their, their minds are preoccupied with grieve against, grievances against other people and jealousy against other people. Jesus came for all the brothers and sisters of this world so that we could worship him together. However, this was not the outcome desired by Herod, not the one who initiated this Bible study. Herod called the Magi to him secretly, and he found out from them the exact time the star had appeared. So, so why did Herod call a secret meeting? The knowledge of the Savior, Savior's birthplace was public domain. It was, it was found in the priest's scrolls. 
Perhaps a false king fears the knowledge, the true knowledge of a true king, and, and worrying that the people might worship him instead. Because Herod was not a true Jew, yet he was titled king of the Jews. It was a, a falseness. See, Jesus, God incarnate, came to liberate all captives. But Herod led because he wanted to subjugate all people to his will. He wanted them to serve a political leader instead of a God. He manipulated through control, through fear, and things like secrecy. So he pulled them secret, made a secret plan. In contrast to the God of the universe who seeks to reveal and liberate you with the truth. He calls you friend and he invites you into his presence. Friends, there's no secret meetings in his church. As I said last week, we're only as sick as our secrets. If you're keeping secrets and discussing them in private, ask yourself who your true king is. Are you ever... Engaging in political movers, maneuvers like Herod just to maintain your status as a leader? Or are you investing your time to speak the truth of the gospel so that you might free your brothers and sisters? Herod told the Magi, go and search carefully for the child. As soon as you find him, report to me so that I may go and worship him Can you imagine the hypocritical tone of Herod? He's so concerned. Oh, go search carefully for the child. And as soon as you find him, report to me so that I may go too and worship him. He seems so caring, right? But later we learn in this chapter that his true intention was to go and kill the child. Herod likes to appear religious to the religious. He likes to appear caring. Often religious people prefer a powerless deity and, and pretend care rather than bowing down to a living God whom they must genuinely worship and obey. Friends, today, what lifeless things are you worshiping that are keeping you from worshiping the living, eternal King, Jesus? Is it money? Is it power? Is it sex? Is it self-improvement? Is it media? Is it food? Is it alcohol? Is it drugs? Is it shopping? Is it media, entertainment? I mean, if Herod truly believed this was the divine king of the universe, what, what, what excuse did he have for not accompanying the Magi himself? Was he too important to go see God himself? Was he, was he too busy? Or did he, did he believe too many people depended on him and, and he needed to take care of them? He didn't have time to go down and worship the king himself. And if you're not finding time to worship Jesus on a personal basis, on a daily basis, ask yourself, what is your excuse? Are you too busy for the God who created you? Friends, I want you to remember that if the devil can't make you bad, he'll make you busy. He wants to make us distracted. From the moment I got here this morning, it seemed like people were distracted. I hope we're focused that the king has been born. 
and we are to worship him? After hearing from the king, the wise men continued their journey. The star they had seen guided them until it stopped over the place where the child was. I want you to notice the um, immediate response of these truly wise individuals. They went straight to worship the king. They didn't delay. They didn't have the knowledge. They were in a foreign land. They weren't like the people of Jerusalem. They weren't like the church. The church stayed in Jerusalem and did their politics. The, 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 the wise men followed the star that God provided them. The, the scripture affirms that God will always provide a way for those who want to, to find him. Jeremiah 29, 13 beautifully states this promise. You will seek me and find me when you seek me with all your heart. That was God's promise to his people when they faced captivity in a foreign land. He was assuring them that no matter what circumstance they were in, he would be there for them, that they could seek seek him with their heart. Friends, misfits, we are, are not alone. If we will earnestly seek God, we will find him. And these weary travelers from a pagan land, what did they do? They ended up in the very presence of Almighty God. They may not have even known the promise from Jeremiah, but in their hearts they knew that God was faithful and was good, and they placed their faith in him. Meanwhile, everybody in Jerusalem, including the religious leaders who attended the king's Bible study, who knew where the Savior was to be born, sat in Jerusalem. None of them took the initiative to travel. None of them sought the Messiah themselves. Could that be another analogy for many in the church today? That they expect pastors and Bible studies leaders to seek Jesus for them and then provide a summary for them? We're kind of like a chat GBT. We're going to have chat GBT pray for us. We're going to have chat GBT seek Jesus for us. Is that that what we're going to do? Have have a professional do it? Or are we going to seek him? Each one of us. Let's let's see what happens to to wise men who who earnestly seek him. And and when they saw the star, they were overjoyed. Uh, Upon seeing a sign in the sky from God, their joy was immense. It it was more than just joy. Joy is good. They were overjoyed. They were drunk with joy. They were filled with mega joy. Verse 11 says, And upon entering the house, they saw the child with his mother Mary, and they bowed down to worship him. They opened their treasures, and they presented him with gifts of gold and frankincense and myrrh. God led them 537 miles directly to his son because they sought him with everything they had. They gave up their time, they gave up their money, and they gave up their personal safety to be there. This is what it means to seek God with your whole heart. It's understanding that finding him compensates for any losses we have along the way. Notice Matthew's phrasing. They saw the child with his mother. 
And, and normally we say mother and child, don't we? Isn't that normally the way we speak? We emphasize the elder and then the child. But here, Matthew highlights the greater one in the room, the greatest in the room, the infant who is the ancient of days that Daniel wrote about, the eternal God worthy of our worship. I mean, consider the scene they encounter. It's not a grand palace, nothing like Herod has, and the child had no fine clothes. It was a modest house. It was not a stable. Their visit was possibly a few years after Jesus' birth. And and Joseph, the father, is not even mentioned here. Maybe he's not even present. It was a humble scene. A baby, maybe in a simple cloth diaper, and a a young mother, maybe 14 to 16 years old. And, And yet, recognizing the child's identity by faith, they humbly bowed down and worshiped Jesus as king. Friends, worship is not about the quality of the music, the lights, the cathedral, the crowd, the preaching, how the preacher's dressed. It's about the quality of the one we worship. The very one who created the stars with his little fingertips who had come that day to save them. And these three wise men gave this baby their treasure. Matthew didn't say, He gave it to the parents. He said they presented it to him. Ever thought, I'm not going to give the church because I'm afraid they will not use my, my gifts responsibly? Friends, they're giving gold to a baby. What does a baby do with gold? See, their worship is not of a baby, but of the God of the universe that sent his anointed king for them. You don't give to this church when you give here. You give to God. You give to God and trust him that he has need for it. Whatever the need is. Parents don't know yet, but they're going to have to escape to Egypt. And God just provided exactly what they needed to be able to transport and move. Their gifts were gold, frankincense, and myrrh. And, And scripture doesn't explain why these specific gifts You know, gold is traditionally associated with kingship or royalty, and frankincense was the type of incense they used in the Jewish temple that signifies our prayers going up to God. The priest would would, would send up the prayers through incense. And myrrh was commonly used in the ancient world for burial. And I, I don't believe these wise men even understood the symbolisms of their gifts. They just brought what they had and what was valuable to Jesus. They didn't know what he needed, but God in our sovereignty did. These gifts teach us all about who his son is. Gold shows he is the Messiah, a king worthy of worship, God's anointed king. Frankincense shows that he is our ultimate mediator between God and men. And we don't need a priest anymore to burn incense. We can take our prayers directly to God. See, the wise men didn't leave the incense in the temple to honor God. They brought it directly to Jesus. This is the way Jesus taught us to worship him. Jesus once said to a crowd of prostitutes and thieves and even people trying to kill him that coming directly to him was the appropriate way to worship God. If anyone thirsts, let him come to me and drink. 
Whoever believes in me, as the scripture has said, out of his heart will flow rivers of living water. Misfits, you don't worship Jesus by coming to church or to temple. You worship Jesus by coming to him. Misfits, this is how we will fulfill our mission as a church of helping every family discover God, his love, and his ways. When you go to him and worship him each day, living waters flow from you to the other misfits of our world. You bring life to a dying world. But friends, this only happens, church, if you personally are drinking him in. Jesus himself is our high priest, he, and, and he is God's anointed king. The religious establishment doesn't rule the universe. He does. You don't come to any church, clergy, or staff. You come to him. Finally, myrrh was the reason why he came to die, to offer his sinless body on a cross to pay the total price for your sin and for my sin so that we could be forgiven and that we could have peace with God. See, most kings don't do the dirty work themselves. They, they have other servants to do that kind of thing. But Jesus was a servant to his people. He got down the dirt as he was beaten. And he served us all in a bloody and messy way, pouring his life out on the cross because he loved us that much. He was buried in a borrowed tomb, unlike Herod, who had a king's tomb. But on the third day, God did a miracle, and Jesus walked out of the tomb alive again and alive forever. And he declared that those who worship him first as Lord and Savior will be forgiven and given everlasting life. Today, beloved, your king has called you to worship him. All the people in the temple thought they were worshiping God. True worship was happening far away. If you're not worshiping him, you're not worshiping. Today, will you be a wise man or woman and do whatever it takes to come to him now and worship him? Will you give your treasure to show he is truly your king? Friends, you've all been giving so much more knowledge than this wise man of who Jesus is. Will you obey him? What will you do when you leave here today? Was this just a religious experience? Or are you going to love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul? with all your mind and love your neighbor as yourself? Will you seek to obey him? For you can't worship him without obedience. The wise men obeyed him when they left him. And having been warmed in a dream not to go back to Herod, they returned to their country by another route. All these wise men have is a dream from God, and they obey it. No mighty angel came to them, as it did for Mary, or an angel in their dream, but they chose to fear God instead of man. 
They risked their lives again by not obeying an earthly evil king like Herod and obeying God. The proof our worship is real is when we're obedient to the revelation God has given us. Friends, you have, or the wise men, had just a mere dream. You have God's word. You have the gospels. You have more information than any generation in history. Are you obeying him and his word to you today? If so, then you're wise. And you will have joy. You will have life. You will have freedom from fear. And you will have everlasting life. The baby they worshiped grew up and said this, Truly, truly, I say to you, whoever hears my words and believes him who sent me has eternal life. He does not come into judgment, but has passed from death to life. John 6, 36. Misfits today, turn. Turn and seek him with everything that you have and live. Give up your time your treasure, your personal safety, your very life, because that's how you find life. Let us pray. Father, I thank you for your word. It's true. But to enjoy the truth of it, we need to obey it. And Father, I pray today that there are some here that would obey your word. And maybe today they finally recognize that you are the king of the universe. You are the one that have, has created them, and you've sent a manual for them to follow, and that they would turn, they would repent, they would admit that they're misfits, that, they're, that they sin, and that they need your forgiveness, they need your mercy, and they need the life that you have, and that they would turn today and follow you. They would give you obedience as their Lord and as their Savior. They would not just sit in some religious community, but they would stand up today and say, you are my Lord and you are my Savior. First century was risking your life to say that Jesus was Lord because everybody thought that Caesar was Lord. Who's Lord right now? Are you willing to risk standing and saying that Jesus is your Lord? Today, do that. Come to him and find life, find joy, find peace and everlasting life. Oh God, do a mighty work through your Holy Spirit today. Fill us with the revelation that you are king and that we must bow down and worship you. Christ's name I pray.